Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. And I'll start by saying a very warm welcome to all, although... You can see a few faces I've seen before, and uh, certainly some new ones uh, in the room. My name's Brian Phillips. I'm going to be comparing our lunchtime lecture today um, and introducing you to the Open Data Challenge series to set in context some of the uh, pictures that you're going to hear. Um, so first of all, thank you for giving up uh, what I thought was a sunny lunchtime. I think I was probably the only person who was particularly used to see the sun go behind the clouds, because um, we had 50 people signed up, and I said to the guys, I'm not sure how many of them are going to, to actually arrive. So thank you for coming along to learn a little bit more about how heritage and culture could come together with open data, potentially uh, to engage more people in the UK. So um, as I said, I'm going to take you through a short introduction. Um, and the first thing to do as part of that is to mention Twitter. Um, so uh, we do encourage you to tweet through the lunchtime lecture. The teams today are pitching for a final prize of £50,000 in just a few weeks' time. So if you're excited about their ideas, um, then please do support them online um, and uh, target any of your friends, colleagues, networks towards them if you think that they can be helpful as well. Um, I am Brian Phillips on Twitter. Uh, we have a hashtag for today, which is ODI Fridays. So that's the same as every week. Um, but we also have ODCS, which is for the Open Data Challenge series. Um, and you'll find all of our tweets at OD Challenges. Um, so to explain, what is the Open Data Challenge series? Uh, quick show of hands. Has anybody come across the concept, the idea, been involved in it? <coughs> a few of my colleagues have. That's good. Um, and a few others as well. So uh, the Open Data Challenge series essentially is a project that was kicked off about two years ago, uh, funded by BIS, the Department for Business, Innovation and Skills, um, and it's a collaboration between Nesta, the UK's uh, Innovation Foundation, and the Open Data Institute, where you find yourselves today. Um, we've been running seven challenges, as I say, over a period of time, and each one has a cash prize to incentivise people to come up with great innovative ideas that are going to use open data for some kind of social good. So today we're here to talk about heritage and culture, but there have been a few others before this. Um, so what's the structure today going to look like? A quick introduction uh, that I'm going to share now to put things in context. And then three pictures, each of which will be six minutes long, and I will be keenly timing them from the front. Um, I've already threatened the teams with a rugby tackle. I don't think I could probably take many of them down. But uh, uh, we're looking for a kind of six-minute pitch just to give you the essence of what their product is. Um, and hopefully to prompt you to ask some really meaty, challenging questions at the end um, to prepare them for their meeting with the judges in a few weeks' time. Um, so do get your thinking caps on as you're hearing from them what actually is missing from their pitch um, that you'd like to hear more about. I'll, I'll say a few words about what's going to happen next for the teams at the end of the session, um, and then we've got 20 minutes, so a good amount of time to really get into questions um, and answers with the teams themselves. So seven challenges. Today we're talking about heritage and culture, um, but before this we have had a number of others. So we started out with crime and justice. Um, more recently we announced the winner for our food challenge. Um, all the information is online on the Nesta website, so I won't spend time dwelling on it today. And no doubt many of you are heritage and culture. Uh, that's where your interest lies rather than these other topics. Um, but we do have kind of final winners, examples of how open data can make change happen in some of these sectors um, that have been created through our process. So what exactly is our process? We start with a very broad subject like heritage and culture, and we boil it down, we work with experts from the sector and from the open data sector to explore, okay, well if this is the available open data in heritage and culture, and these are the social issues that we're seeing for the institutions, for the users, what's the kind of sweet spot between the two? I always think of it as a Venn diagram. What's that kind of place where we actually could ask a really meaningful question? 
And the one that came out for us for heritage and culture and the reason that these guys have come up with their ideas is because they're trying to show us how can actually open data engage more people and more diverse people in UK heritage and culture. So once we've got the question, the process looks a little bit like this. As I said, we start with a high-level theme, we focus on a specific challenge question, we then have an open application period, which was earlier this year, um, and we invite people to just submit an idea online, a few paragraphs to explain what's their idea, how they're going to use open data, what's the intended social impact, and actually how are they thinking that this is a sustainable idea, is there really a market and a, and a user need out there? Um, once we've got a sense of the initial ideas, and for these guys there were kind of, I think, just over 30 applications to start with, um, we whittle them down and we select uh, about half of those to come along and join us for a weekend. That weekend we call a creation weekend. Um, it's a little bit different to a hack, loads of expert um, kind of advice and support, but also some clear assessment of the ideas going on across the two days. And at the end of the Sunday, there's a few hours set aside for each of the teams to pitch. Um, so we bring together a panel of judges from across heritage and culture and open data um, to ask some probing questions. Each team had to do a four-minute pitch on the day and then a two-minute uh, question and answer session. And in addition, they'd all been assessed by our colleagues at PwC and us Creates who were looking um, to really robustly quantify how they felt they scored against our judging criteria. So quite a, a strenuous exercise so far, but there is a reward. At that point, three of the 15 teams won £5,000 each. Um, they're the people you're going to hear from today. And some incubation support, and that's the phase that we're in now. Um, just before we select one overall winner who's going to win that £50,000 prize that I mentioned. Yes, indeed, heritage and culture just there before the uh, final flag. Um, just to mention very briefly the judging criteria which has been consistent throughout the process. So we look, we're looking for innovative ideas, not things that already exist in the market or in the sector. Um, a good use of open data, solidly at the centre of the proposition. Social impact of some sort, um, though we don't stipulate exactly what that is. As you can imagine, the social impact from a food challenge is far different to the social impact from a heritage culture challenge. Um, and then some level of some degree of sustainability. We're not necessarily looking for um, a profit-making company. We could be looking for a charity, um, but we need to feel clear that there is a, a need and a market out there that's going to sustain this project. Ultimately, this funded us to create examples that are going to last. So uh, that's what we're looking for. So the first of our teams, I will take my seat and switch on my timer. The first of our teams uh, is Ravel, and Irene's going to take us through uh, what they're up to. As I mentioned, a quick Twitter plug there if you are tweeting that are on Ravel things, so do feel free to uh, show your support, Irene. Thank you. Okay, very good. Go now. <laughs> okay, hi all. Um, my name's Irene, and I'm here representing the Ravel team. Um, Ravel's about two problems. Uh, problem number one is families are struggling to find activities that they can all do together as a family family day out. Uh, this is evidenced by a report um, by UNICEF which recently placed the UK bottom of all OECD nations for childhood wellbeing. The Re report demonstrates how parents struggle to find opportunities to spend quality time with their children and instead feel compelled to purchase consumer goods which are often neither wanted nor treasured by their kids. Problem number two is that volunteering at cultural sites could be a solution to this, but it currently isn't. In fact, research shows that cultural heritage institutions are struggling to find ways to engage people more deeply, and particularly with families. And at most sites, volunteering usually involves a family type, a regular time commitment and is predominantly focused on adults. Get that, oh, please. Oh, sorry. Organisations like... Is that better? 
organisations like the National Trust and RSPB also have told us that the challenge for them is having the capacity to design, frame and deliver activities in ways that connect well with lots of families and keep them involved on a regular basis. So we've got one solution to that problem, Ravel. On one side, it's creating a simple, easy-to-use platform that offers families a way to search for fun and useful things that they can do together. And because it's fueled by aggregating existing open data from the likes of English Heritage, National Parks, and National Trust Scotland into a universal visitor site list, it's going to lead to the creation of more open data, because cultural sites can genuinely see the benefit of opening their data because it's going to encourage them to see each other as collaborators rather than competitors. So here's Ravel. Let me tell you a bit about how it works. It's really simple. Families head to the Ravel website or app to search for activities going on in their local area during school holidays, at weekends, and other family time. They find a project they like, they sign up as a family, <coughs> and they can even invite other families to join them too. On the day, everyone gets stuck in doing anything from planting wildflower meadows to designing play trails, cleaning up beaches, having fun and getting useful stuff done in the process. Um, I just want to tell you quickly how we want to, uh, how we want to spread Rebel. Uh, we want to go slowly and sustainably, taking one city and one region at a time, keeping lean and learning, developing <coughs> and testing as we go. Aside from this prototype phase that we currently find ourselves in, um, our first proper iteration is going to be a Ravel week in the city of Liverpool this coming autumn. Learnings from that will then be fed into a second phase in, in 2016, when, if all goes well, we'll expand into other cities in the region, probably Manchester next. And from 2017 and beyond, we really hope that we're going to be able to roll out the regional model across the rest of the UK. Um, I just want to take you through, so taking those judging criteria that Brian showed you earlier, why is Ravel such a great idea? <coughs> Firstly, it's innovative. Parents, sites, funders are all telling us they've never seen anything like this before. We've taken the best of crowdsourcing platforms like Kickstarter and turned them into something where you can pledge time instead of money and involve families at the same time. Secondly, the project has far-reaching social impact. We'll measure increases in family well-being against existing ONS data and we'll see thousands of families engaging in non-materialistic activities in their leisure time. And cultural sites will get some important conservation work done at the same time. A new generation could potentially grow up with a deep connection to the culture, nature and art around them. With regards to data, the reason that we're so excited about Ravel is because we genuinely see how it can provide the missing motivation in the sector to use and create open data, leading to even more great innovations like Ravel in the future. Finally, we know where these types of volunteering platforms have been tried before, and when funding dried up, the projects ended and evaporated and nothing ever happened. We think we've got a sustainable model here which can finance itself in scale as it grows, as it, as it grows and develops. Just want to run through really quickly the revenue sources. Um, uh, predominantly cultural sites, the largest slice of revenue through membership or subscription fees, giving them a tailored package of support, training, and delivery according to their capabilities. Whilst our data is open source, we'll be providing additional services and support around the open data, including analysis. One of the ideas we've got is to publish an annual state of the nation-style volunteering, family volunteering report. Uh, and finally, we're exploring whether rabblers themselves, as we like to call them, might also be a potential revenue source for the project. But don't take my word for it. Uh, these are the people that are supporting us and already getting stuck in with Ravel. Along the top row, we've got um, 
the Cultural Guardians who are supporting us, from the Head Volunteering at the National Trust, Take Liverpool and Liverpool City Council who are all on board for our October pilot. Then we've got Jerry, a community organiser, Phil, a head teacher at Inner City Primary School, and Jane Tuck, parents of Christopher, who told us they can't wait for their first raffle day to take place. Um, I just want to leave you with our grand ambition, and it is a grand one, I admit, but it's to see a change in the definition of the word rabble in the dictionary. In time, we want to see rabble the noun become rabble the verb, and we want it to mean to do something useful and fun at the same time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Emily. Um, I was in two minds about whether I really needed to pop up in between teams. Just a few seconds to cogitate and consider what's the question that you're going to ask to ask to Irene at the end. Um, and also to take a moment to take stock and think about the next team who are coming up. So City Radar, um, who are represented today by Ian Savage, they're a team of four, and the same with uh, Ravel, who are indeed a team of four. Um, and uh, they're at City Radar UK on Twitter, and a relatively new account, I believe, Ian. But uh, nonetheless, do take the dictate the stage. That's great. Thank you, Brian. Mm. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Ian Savage. Uh, I'm here to represent City Radar. Where I'm currently from Belfast, which is where we're going to start the pilot of City Radar. And City Radar is all about capturing, creating, and connecting. The reality for every organisation aiming to attract any type of visitor has a need. They're not need is important whether they're hospitality, catering, culture, heritage. The big need is they need to know who their customers are and who uh, they could be, and that's fundamental to the issue of sustainability. However, however that sustainability is defined, whether that's by funders, whether that's by the market, whether that's by their charitable objectives. The challenge is that organisations tend to have limited time, money, and a capability to research and understand their environment properly and open data isn't easy to find or interpret. A consistent approach to sourcing data, targeting customers proactively, and using this information as a live evaluation and marketing framework is a rarity. But this is exactly what is needed within such a competitive environment. Disposable income is scarce, funding is being reduced. The recent <coughs> HLF report says there's £500 million a year less funding to heritage groups in the last five years. So a significant amount of budget reduction in funding. I'm expecting much, and those funders are expecting much more demonstrable social impact to ensure their support. Now, our current approach as consultants is we undertake relatively static audience development planning reports. We do strategic plans. We do funding support. Uh, we do evaluation. And just some of the projects: Titanic's last tendership, the last surviving ship in World War One, the very ship based at the moment. Armageo and indeed turning a strand cinema into strand art centre. So some really challenging projects that we've been involved in. But our sense is that our current approach is not enough. And this just gives you a sense of how we manage the open data by taking a wide range of sources and using a range of rules of thumb to identify who might go to a particular attraction, who might they be, uh, whether they're tow divers or divers or swimmers. So that, but we think that current approach is not enough. And that's why we brought about City Radar, which is about capturing, creating, and connecting. And key features of City Radar is that we, we have to be a software as a service, becoming a dynamic system, as well as becoming a platform for developing other, other data-driven services, ruled out city by city. It will be used on a daily basis. At the minute, our audience development plans are developed, developed at quite an expense to the funder and, and the attraction. 
Um, but they're not often implemented as part of a daily process of targeting and looking at how to um, target hard to reach groups. So this will be daily, daily, daily radar. You can put your own data on and track and add data to. And the outcome will be a more targeted data-driven approach to encouraging visitation, including hard to reach groups, as well as tracking the success of cities and regions in one place dynamically across a range of economic, social, and environmental impacts. And what are the data sources? Well, three in particular. The first is obviously open data. Uh, we, we use open data extensively in our current approach, so we know there's a need for what we're doing. Uh, but it'll be easily accessed, it'll be well visualized, and we've just confirmed with the Northern Army government they're rolling out the open data strategy this year that we will be piloting a portal for open data from, from July. But it's also about proactive data capture. Anybody working in the sector knows that visitors come and go, but very rarely do you collect information on them on a daily basis. So we will be providing surveys in conjunction with a company called Lucidtalk in partnership with YouGov, capturing audience information and sharing it across the city. And finally, dynamic displays on the online conversation by city, uh, so we scrape in the internet to get a sense of what everybody's talking about in the city, what are they doing, what, what do they think, as well as providing other analysis such as weather, weather information, wet versus dry attractions are a very big part of um, getting people in, um, and even currency <coughs> is a big, big issue, particularly when you have a land border with the Republic of Ireland. So what is our business model? Well, the first one is we want to win the competition. It's pretty blatant, pretty pretty obvious. As I was getting about half four this morning for a flight, I was thinking about winning the competition. And piloting our site in Belfast initially. Um, but our strategy is ultimately about making our static audience approach obsolete. So the most important strategy for me is to make what I'm doing at the minute obsolete before somebody else does. And that's really the first thing we're looking at. But ultimately, it's about helping funders, policymakers, and attractions, which are the three users, maximize social, economic, and environmental impact through better use and capture of data. So, really challenging this notion of imperfect information. It's also about uh, innovative finance, so it'll be cost effective rather than expensive reports. It'll be a freemium to premium pricing strategy, like a standard uh, software as a service. Operationally, it'll be easy to use backed up by consultancy, training, and support. And indeed, using the existing staff within the traction, so a process of what we call forced multiplication, about using people who could be doing other things to, to develop surveys to be able to engage more proactively with visitors. And ultimately, about being local. So we're going to pilot it in Belfast. It's uh, small enough to do it and large enough to matter in terms of a pilot. Uh, are rolling out across other cities with local teams over the next five years. We aim for at least 30 cities within five years. And ultimately by being scalable as well. So CityRadar as a city-focused platform preferred in areas of interest. So thank you very much for your time and for listening to me at CityRadar, which is about capturing, creating, and connecting. Please just note my Twitter feed as well. Thank you. It strikes me that six minutes is a luxurious amount of time when you're used to pitching in four. Um, I haven't had to rubber tackle anybody yet. Um, and in fact, Ian came in pretty much bang on time. Um, but uh, without further ado, I'll introduce Culture Everywhere. Um, our final team, also of four members, um, but just represented today by Danny and Jack. And Danny's going to take us through the presentation. So over to you. Hi everyone, um, I'm Danny Andrews from Team Culture Everywhere. Of course, culture isn't everywhere, 
it feels weird saying that here in central London where you have got more culture than uh, but culture there are places around the country where the opportunities uh, for culture are few uh, and where people face challenges and barriers to accessing um, to engaging with arts and heritage or people feel shut out of mainstream arts and heritage that it isn't something that's for them it's for other people so the Art Council estimates around 30 million people who don't currently engage with the arts. And there's millions more who are only kind of loosely engaging, and so whose engagement could deepen. So our starting point for this challenge was the crucial role that grassroots art and participatory arts and heritage organisations can, uh, can play in producing and delivering work in places and for people who don't currently access mainstream culture. So the sorts of organisations I mean probably know um, sort of youth theatres, street dance workshops, you know, this and that groups, you know, sort of amateur uh, art exhibitions in community centres, all that sort of good stuff. These organisations are frequently sort of embedded in and working with uh, local communities, local neighbourhoods and people who don't currently engage with the arts. Um, and they can take the arts into underserved areas. So as well as those, there's around about 70,000 organisations uh, who are doing that sort of work with the intrinsic value of the arts. And then out of a total number of around 900,000 civil society organisations, there are thousands more who are interested in the instrumental value of the arts in delivering social outcomes around health, or education, people's economic circumstances, and much more besides. But here's the problem. Small organisations working in these hyper-local deprived communities are under-resourced and time-poor. They're not necessarily data and evidence-driven in their work, and they're not really building up the intelligence about who's currently accessing art and, and culture, who's in need of the sorts of activities they could do, and what sort of projects and activities uh, would maximise um, their outcomes. And they rarely capture and publish the sort of data that can get them into a virtuous circle of building up their track records and standing them in good stead for future funding and growth. So when it's culture everywhere, um, so culture everywhere makes it quick and easy for fundraisers and grassroots arts organisations to develop fundable projects. And we do that, we help you evidence the need for your activities, showcase your portfolio to find funds and partners, and celebrate your success by tracking your impact. <coughs> so our users in grassroots arts and heritage organisations are able to work through a simple interface uh, which interrogates the open data sets we're using to start building up an evidence base for the organisation's work, guiding the user through the building blocks necessary to produce a solid, fundable proposal. So we're using data from arts-related funders like the Arts Council to build a picture of activity that's been supported, where funding's gone, what sorts of activities have been supported to help spark off ideas of the sorts of organisations and what, what sort of good practices out there. We're using demographic and social open data on things like health and participation and deprivation to build up evidence of need for particular beneficiaries. And we're using relevant research to help organisations develop their activities in line with best practice. And the material that Culture Everywhere then generates um, for the user can be plugged into funding proposals, business plans, um, kind of collaboration proposals, and that sort of thing. So Culture Everywhere also generates new open data. One of the key issues for smaller arts organisations is that all that time goes on developing projects, finding funding, and then delivering the work itself. And what I can get left, left behind is that monitoring and evaluation of what they do. It's this evidence that can build up their track record and help them persuade future supporters that they're the best people to achieve social impact in their area. 
Culture Everywhere provides simple tools for those organisations to capture and present that data and a platform through which they can connect with potential partners and collaborators. And so through Culture Everywhere, we're also building up this evidence base uh, of information on below-the-radar organisations as well as this kind of ongoing grassroots arts and impact data. Last bit now. Culture Everywhere is a partnership between Better With Data Society, a social enterprise which helps people realise the value of data, and Ignite Imaginations, a grassroots participatory arts charity in Sheffield. And it was born out of some of the um, experiences and the frustrations that uh, I experienced working as a funding advisor and fundraiser working with small uh, charities for many years, and the Ignite Imaginations experience in trying to meet their vision of vibrant and creative communities throughout Sheffield. Now, unfortunately, as much as we'd love to, the data and technology isn't quite there yet to take all the pain out of fundraising and organisational development for these groups. We'll maybe aim for that in phase two. But we can help these grassroots organisations save time and money and improve the quality of their project ideas and funding proposals. We can have great funding success, and as a result, they can take arts and heritage to more and more diverse people, all of which gets us closer to culture everywhere. And I will finish by... Pointing you to our website, cultureverywhere.com, where currently you can fill in a survey and you can tell any of your friends that may be involved in grassroots arts uh, or heritage activities to go and give us some data to help us develop this tool in the way that best meets their needs. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.